Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Hey, um, we're in a series called What Works, and um, I don't know, uh, this is like the longest series I think I've been a part of. Because everything works. Like we've, like I was looking back over what we've talked about. Scripture works. Patience works. Community works. Peace works. Sabbath works. Forgiveness works. Rejoicing works. Rest works. Lots of things work. That's good. So today I'm going to give you something else that works. Um, and it's actually it's something that works. Well, it's been proven to work for Old Testament heroes, and it's and has really worked for Jesus. So I think it might work for us. Um, but before I, before I reveal what I'm going to be uh, talking about, I feel like I need to just uh, build a bit of a scene for you. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in an increasingly busy and uh, complicated world. A world that is vying for our attention. And... Uh, there is just stuff all the time clamoring for our attention. Some of it's good stuff. Some of it's, you know, things that we that should be in our lives, like friends and family and work. But there's often expectations. There's others' expectations for us. There's our expectations of ourselves. There's our spouse's expectations. There's our family's expectations. And then there's all the stuff that the world wants to get your attention with, like the advertising and the news and social media and the anti-social media and the, the entertainment. And there's all this stuff in our worlds. And it can get quite I guess overwhelming. There's like a there's a clamoring from all sides. There's a pressing in, and uh, it's not that these things are necessarily bad, but they all want our attention, and it can it can be a bit much sometimes. And and even even now, so to let you know, I I used to pastor a church um, for about ten years in Timaru. I was pastoring a church on two or three days a week and um, doing a part-time job as a physio for 20 hours a week and raising four kids. And, um, and, and life was fairly busy, and there was lots happening. I'm not doing all that now, um, and yet I still find that there is, life is busy and there's stuff clamoring for my attention. And I think, man, even in a, what I would say is kind of a dormant phase for me where I'm just kind of letting things lie fallow and, and just having a bit of a break, there's still a busy world going around and vying for my attention. And, you know, I'd like to say that in my, in my newfound, um, more relaxed mode of life that I just become, have this phenomenal prayer life and, and I'm super calm and zen-like with all my children and that nothing bothers me or phases me, but you can just ask my kids or my wife, it's not true. Uh, even in, in, a, in a relatively not busy phase, I still find that I'm filling my life with stuff, filling my head with stuff. There are still things that I need to pay attention to. There's still responsibilities that I have, and, that, and that's good, that's right. But if I'm, if I'm honest, there's also something about the way I'm living, and I think a lot about the way a lot of us are living, that is actually, well, it's kind of like a, an, a socially acceptable addiction. You see, I think, and I'm not a, 
a, a psychologist, so I'm not diagnosing anything here. But I think a lot of us, and I include myself in this, we are addicted to distraction. It's like an undiagnosed illness of our age. We, we must be entertained. And a lot of it is due to that little thing that you have in your hand or in your pocket right now. Like, you know what I'm talking about, your cell phone. Like, we, we distract ourselves. And if we're not busy, we will make ourselves busy. We will keep our minds busy. And usually it's, it's with our phones. And we, we love that little dopamine hit that we get when we, uh, whatever it is you, you, you go on, whether it's TikTok or Facebook or the news or whatever it is that, that, that stirs you and, and catches your attention. But we don't ever allow ourselves for a moment to be bored. Like my youngest daughter, Ida, uh, will sometimes come to me, and she's five now, and she says, I'm, I'm bored. As if being bored is the worst ill in the world. Like, it's the greatest problem in our world today is my five-year-old's boredom. And, uh, and, and she expects that it's my job to entertain her always. If she's not entertained or I'm not giving her something to entertain her, then, then I'm not doing my job as a parent. And, uh, and we can get sucked into this trap. Oh, we have to be entertained. We have to entertain everyone. Actually, I realized, no, no, your boredom is a gift to your imagination. It's a gift to you to actually, because then what she'll do is she'll go away and, hey, John Horton, good to see you. Um, she'll go away and she will actually entertain herself. And she'll use it in her imagination. She'll play these amazing games. And I actually think our boredom is a gift to us as well. But we never allow ourselves to get bored. Because even in those moments when we're just even sitting on the toilet, we, we entertain ourselves. Don't, don't, don't laugh as if you don't know what I'm talking about. You will do it too. I won't dwell there. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm old enough to remember a time when, when a phone was a thing that was stuck to the wall and it had this big dial on it. Do you remember those? And it like, took you five minutes to dial the number and you had to wait. And if they didn't pick up, they didn't pick up. You couldn't like, yeah. A phone was just a phone. But now it's this entertainment device that we have glued to us all the time. Like, Back in the day, I, I, I did this thing called reading books. I don't know if you've done it before, but it wasn't just like a little feed, and I didn't just scroll with my thumb. No, I actually turned these physical pieces of paper. Who knew? Paper. As I scroll across on my electronic device right now, uh, I would have this on a piece of paper as well. Time magazine published a recent survey uh, that Microsoft found that 77% of young adults answered yes when asked this question. When nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. 77% of young people said, yep, that's true. That's almost four out of five. We have a problem because we are addicted to distraction. We need to be entertained. Our attention has to be captured all the time. And, and actually, it's detrimental to our brains. Like, I don't know about you, but I've noticed I can't read like I used to. I can't sit down with a book and just get lost in it. Like I read a page and then I'm like, oh, what's happening? What's happening in the world? Ah, oh, like I think we're getting dumber, possibly. I don't know. Um, but our attention spans are definitely getting shorter. 
But that isn't even the biggest problem. Like the biggest problem of it for us as Christians is that we're losing presence. We have a problem with presence. God's presence and presence to others. Now, it's not God's presence to us. He's omnipresent. He's there all the time, right? And he's present to us. It's our presence to him. Our ability to tune into him has been hugely diminished by this need to be constantly distracted, to be constantly busy, whatever that looks like. It's also our presence to others. I don't know if you've gone out for coffee with someone and, and you know, apparently, if you have your phone on the table, you're far less likely to be engaged in the conversation. So you know, just, just a hint, next time you go out for coffee with me, put your phone in your pocket, maybe even put it on silent or airplane mode, but be present. We've lost that ability to be present to others, to be genuinely engaged. Like possibly right now, and this is, I'm not trying to shame you, you've already checked your Facebook feed or something on uh, social media already, or now I've mentioned it, you want to. Uh, <laughs> you're just thinking, oh, when can I? Like we have, there's this ingrained thing that we've just got to keep getting that little hit. And what it's doing is dumbing us down to the presence of God and the presence of others, and also the presence of, of the beauty of the world around us. You just got to watch people walking down the road or walking through the gardens. And, uh, you know, we've got amazing botanical gardens, and they're just glued to their phone. We actually need to put it away and, and take notice of what is around us. There's an epidemic of distraction in our world, and it makes us feel busy even when we're not. And it makes us less present to what is important in our lives. Now, that distraction may not be bad, it's not evil, but it's not helpful to our souls. It's not helpful to our, our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Because here's the thing, the noise of the modern world drowns out the voice of God. I'll say that again. The noise of the modern world drowns out the voice of God. Ronald Rollheiser, I don't know him personally, but he says we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Um, that's a bit depressing. We'll move on. Today we're going to look at an answer, though, because there are principles in the Old Testament and the New that, that we see heroes of the Bible doing that we can learn from and can help us to fight this problem we have with distraction. So I can tell you what it is. It says, uh, it doesn't actually say it there, I say that detachment works. Detachment works. You go, detachment, that's a, it's a strange thing. Uh, before you start jumping to conclusion, I'm not meaning that you should be a detached person, like emotionally detached from your kids or from your wives or, or whatever. Like that's not what I'm talking about. Don't be a distant detached person. And I'm not saying that being, uh, that detaching is, is just going and playing on Xbox or watching a movie. Um, so don't, don't use that so, oh, the, I'm just detaching. Dave said I need to detach. No, you just want to play video games. Um, now, what I'm talking about is, is actually detaching from the world in order to connect with God. You see, it's, it's, in connecting, it's disconnecting from the world so that you can connect with God in order that when you reconnect with the world, you're better able to connect with others and with God. 
Does that make sense? I'll say that again. Disconnecting from the world so that we can connect with God in order that when we reconnect with the world, we're better able to love and connect with others. And there's many different ways we can detach, and I'll talk about some of them uh, later, but the main form of detachment that we see in the Bible is actually people detaching themselves from society, taking themselves away, and getting alone with God. So that's the main one that I want to talk to today. And we see there's a couple of Old Testament examples. There's, uh, there's Moses. So Moses is leading um, a nation of several million people. So he's a busy guy, right? Uh, he's leading them from, uh, is, um, from Egypt to their promised land. And yet God calls him up a mountain for 40 days to get some instruction, to get some help. So for 40 days, Moses detaches himself from quite an important job. Like imagine if Jacinda Ardern's just like, I'm just going to go up Mount Cook for 40 days, um, and, uh, and then I'll come back to leading the nation. Like We'd be like, what? What's she thinking? It'd probably be really good for her. Um, <laughs> I know she's been in Antarctica lately, but, you know, only for a couple of days. Um, but Im- imagine, you know, you're leading the nation and you just disappear. Now, Things actually go to, the, the nation kind of turns to rubbish while he's away. We won't talk about that. But what happens is that Moses gets um, a download from God. He comes out with the Ten Commandments, and, uh, and God really speaks to him and meets with him in that place. So Moses detaches from society, from, from the busyness of his world to connect with God. The great prophet Elijah, he's an awesome dude, and and. The time that he detaches, it's a, it's a strange time because he is absolutely smashing it as a prophet. Like he's had this big prophet off with all the other prophets of Baal. Like there's 450 of them versus him and God, and he wins. And, uh, and then he prophesies a break in this big drought and famine, and, and that happens. So he's, he's nailing it, right? And then this evil queen, Jezebel, just says one thing. She says, what you did to those prophets, I'm going to do to you. And he gets spooked, and he's like, what? And he just runs, and he freaks out. He, run, he literally runs for his life, is what the Bible says. And he lies down under a tree, and he prays that he may die. Like, he's up here, and then he's down here. He's got, like, this massive swing. And God sends an angel to him in that moment and sends him on a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb, where he spends a night in a cave. So a major, a major detachment from society, right? He's doing all these awesome things being an amazing prophet, and then for 40 days he walks to this mountain, and then he's in a cave, just hanging out, and then God comes and speaks to him. And it's a, it's a beautiful passage. I, I, I think we've got it up on the screen. I'll read it to you now. In, in, in verse 11, uh, it says, The Lord said, Go out and stand by the, on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Do we not have those um, PowerPoint person? They've just gone to sleep up there. Oh, you got the next one. Ah, don't not to give you that one. Maybe I didn't give it to you. I'll let you off the hook. Um, <laughs> so, and then from there, Mo, uh, Elijah gets a whole lot of very d- direct instructions. 
which is really cool. Uh, he's, he's, you know, go anoint this king, anoint this king, and then also anoint Elisha, who's going to be your um, successor. And so he gets really pointed instructions after detaching, after removing himself from the busyness, the craziness of his world. And here's the thing. I think the busier and the crazier things get for these guys, the more important it is that they detach. And so the busier and the, the you feel things are getting in your life, the more important this is that you do this and you, you detach. Now, 40 days, both, both these guys did this for 40 days. 40 days is a long time, so don't worry. You don't have to go away for 40 days and 40 nights and, and your family go, where's dad? He's disappeared. <laughs> We've lost him. <laughs> um, no, no. You can just do it for shorter times because we get to Jesus now. Jesus is our model, right? And, uh, and I don't actually have time to read all the passages that uh, Jesus detaches because there's a lot of them, but I'll read you some. Luke 6, 12 and 13. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So right before Jesus chooses the 12 disciples, he's like, I need to spend some time with God. I need to hear from you. So he spends all night praying. That's a long time to pray. Uh, all night praying. Luke 9, 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, I don't know what he said, it's irrelevant. He took Peter, John, and James with them and went up onto a mountain to pray. It, it is actually relevant to, what, to my point. <laughs> you can go read it in your Bible if you think it might be relevant. But the, the point is that he went up the mountain to pray. Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. It seems like Jesus does this quite a lot. Like regularly, he detaches from society, often goes up a mountain. So it's okay if you live on the flat in Christchurch. You don't have to go up a mountain. Get on your roof. No, you don't even have to do that. You can do it in your living room. The idea is that you just get away and you pray. At the very outset of Jesus' ministry, he's led into the desert where he fasts. We'll talk about fasting soon. He fasts for 40 days before being tempted by the enemy. He detaches from society. He goes away again for 40 days, and he connects with God in that space. Detaching is key to Jesus' ministry. It's actually kind of the engine room for what he does. See, there's purpose to our detachment. It's not, it's not running away from our problems. Detachment is not escaping the hard stuff in your life. You, you, that's called escapism uh, or shirking responsibility. And that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus wasn't shirking his responsibilities. He was removing himself so that he would be better able to take on his responsibilities, to do the things that he's called to do. He realized that to do that well, he needed to spend, even Jesus, the son of God, needed to do that. So don't think you don't need to. Because you ain't the son of God. When you, see, when you detach, you make yourself better able to take responsibility for your life. This is actually really important. In Mark 1, we see Jesus' first day as the Messiah. He's, kinda, he's doing all the messiah things. He's teaching in the synagogue. He's healing people left, right, and center. He's, he's being awesome all day. And then in Mark 1.35, we read this. Very early in the morning... While it was still dark, 
Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. One day of ministry, and Jesus is like, I've got to get out of here, and I've got to (laughs) refuel with God. He needed to refresh and rejuvenate after just one day of ministry. We need to do this, and we need to do this regularly, because it wasn't a one-off. For Jesus. Let me read you another one. Luke 5 15. Yeah, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. So it's getting, it's amping up. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. Turn to your neighbor and say, often. Jesus did this often. He he withdrew to a quiet place and he prayed. Luke 22, 39 to 41. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. I don't even need to read the rest of it. It's just the fact that he usually goes away somewhere up the Mount of Olives. It's his favorite little spot to pray. You actually see a pattern in the Gospel of Luke. The busier Jesus gets, the more stuff he does, the more he gets away the more he, he flees and he detaches and he, and he has these times alone with God. Does that sound like you? The busier you get, the more things get stressful, the harder things are in life, the more you press into that space, detaching from the busyness of the world and being with God. I, I, if I'm honest, it's not me. The busier things get, the more I freak out and the harder I've got to work, the bit more I've got to get done. I've just got to smash this list of things out. No, I don't have time for a, for a quiet time. I don't have time to do that. Jesus, what? I've got these things I've got to do for you. <laughs> it's for you, God. And Jesus is just saying, no. The thing you do for me is you come and you just sit with me. And you just be with me. And we, we commune. And the beautiful thing is that when we do that with him, it does something for us. It actually gives us the ability to do what we're called to do even better. So how do we detach like Jesus? How do we actually practically do that? Well, there's kind of two keys that Jesus can teach us. And I'm also going to draw from some of the teachings of uh, the desert elders. So I've been just finished off a bit of study. Um, If you want to read it, it's 20,000 words. You probably don't. Because, yeah, it's long. Um, but they, they really captured this idea of detachment. Um, they were a bunch of Christian men and women, the, the, the desert elders. And the key's in the name. They went into the desert. Around 300 or 400 AD, um, the Roman Empire kind of becomes Christian. But as a part of that, it's kind of a, like a nominal Christian. Um, and, and so these guys are pretty, and girls are pretty hard out. And so they decide, no, we're going to follow hard after God. So they, they detach from society, and they go into the desert, and, uh, and they seek God. And they do it through two things. And, well, actually, they have lots of practices, but there's two keys, solitude and silence. And it's what we see Jesus doing as well. So, so let's just break these down a little bit. Firstly, solitude. Well, that seems straightforward, doesn't it? It's being alone. For the desert elders... There alone was being in um, a cave or a little um, hut. They called it a cell. doesn't sound very appealing, does it? It's not like they were going to prison. But 
they had this thing they called their cell, and it was key for them to be alone in their cell was like the, the main thing they did. And they would just be alone with God and their thoughts. And sometimes they would do uh, practical things, like they would make mats that they could then sell um, to get food because, you know, they have to eat. But essentially, they're just alone with their thoughts and with God. And when I say alone, that I mean really alone. Like, they, they didn't have electronic devices, so they weren't just, like, looking at their news feed. They didn't even have books because most of these men and women were illiterate. So they were alone with God and their thoughts. And they would come together with other um, elders. They would come together to pray once a day, and they would, they would pray through things. But, but, but the main thing they did was they were just alone with God. I don't know how we would feel about that. Can you imagine? I think we would feel, find that incredibly awkward, incredibly challenging, because sometimes the reason we're not alone is that we actually are not comfortable just with their own company. We distract ourselves because then we don't have to face our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own fears, our own anxieties. Actually, being alone with God is a confronting place, but it's a healthy place. So it's not, I'm not talking about isolation, we're talking about solitude. I don't mean you should go and just be isolated from community. No man or woman is an island. I'm not talking about just making yourself lonely. We need connection, we need community. So, so hear that. But for the purpose of a deep connection with God, what we actually all long for is a deep connection with God. We need to get alone with Him. So we, we need to do what it takes to find a place of solitude. It's not as easy for us. Like we're not alone in the desert. We're in a busy world often with kids and families and life. Um, so maybe it involves getting up really early like Jesus did. Maybe it involves staying up a little later. Maybe it involves removing your phone from your body, putting it in another room, putting it on silent mode, leaving it behind when you go for a drive or a walk or something. But we need to find that place of solitude. Okay? Firstly, solitude. The second thing is silence. This can be even harder. So there's the outer silence and there's inner silence. So outer silence is just a quiet place in the busy world, which, which can be difficult to find. I admit, I have four kids. It can be difficult to find that quiet place. Um, and one thing about the desert out is they didn't, didn't have any kids, so they didn't have to worry about that. Uh, but when they, when they first, it was a really important discipline for them to be silent. So when they first went out into the de- desert, that was kind of the thing the, the um, other elders would get them to do, was just be silent. One elder, Abba Agathon, kept a stone in his mouth for three years in order to keep silence. Yeah, that's pretty hard out. You don't have to walk around with a stone in your mouth. Uh, It'd wreck your teeth, probably. Um, but that's how seriously they took this idea of silence. Because when we're silent, what can we do? Yeah, we can listen. For the desert elders, they listened to the older and wiser other elders who went before them. And, of course, they listened to God. When we're silent, we can learn humility. Because it's no longer about us being heard. It's no longer about us sticking up for our rights or our point of view or making sure our voice is listened to, which we like to do because our, our world tells us that it's important that you are heard. 
But actually, Jesus was silent before his accusers. He was as silent as a lamb going to slaughter. Actually, there's a power in silence. So we need to learn to be silent before God, not just coming to him with our list of things that we want him to do. That's not a, that's not what a, that's not a quiet time if you just come to God with your list, label them off, and then see you later. No, we need to be silent before him. So physically silent, but then also internally silent. And this can be even harder, silencing our inner voice. Because you know, as soon as you're silent, ah, oh, gosh, I've got to go do that thing. Oh, heck. Oh, oh, man, I'm worried about that thing that's happening tomorrow or the week ahead. Oh, that conversation I had with that person. Oh, they really bugged me. And you, Oh, man, I wish I'd said that. Oh, God, man, that would be the perfect thing to say. Oh, man, imagine doing that. Your head just, you know, when you're silent, all of a sudden, all these other thoughts come in. And we need to learn to, to silence those. Silence those distracting thoughts, those lustful thoughts, those jealous thoughts, those anxious thoughts, those critical thoughts, and just be silent. I think it's actually a hard thing to do, but it's something that comes with practice. So, so stick at it. Now don't, don't sit down. Here's the thing. Every time you come to God and you try and be still before him and it fails, don't see that as a failure. See that as an attempt your, your attempt to get closer to God, because God is pleased with that. Every attempt you make to draw closer to him, he's like, yeah, there's my child. And they are, they, are, they are making an effort to come to me. So see it as just you turning your heart again to God. See it as a, an opportunity. Every time you get distracted, it's another opportunity for you to turn your heart towards God. Every time your mind wanders, it's another opportunity to come back and seek after him. Because the enemy will say, oh, you're failing you tried that once. You're just, you're just too distractible. You can't do it. That's not true. So we find that place of, of solitude and of silence. And then what do we do? Well, it's not rocket surgery. Um, there's, there's some things we can do. Firstly, I think, I think we need to bring some scripture into, into the moment. Uh, I think that's really important. The desert elders, so these guys, like I said, they were... Uh, mostly um, unable to read and write, so they memorized um, the psalms. Some of them had the whole Psalter, like 150 psalms, and there's some long psalms in there. Go, re- go memorize 100, Psalm 119. Uh, they had them memorized, and they would just go over them. So every time they came together, they would go through 12 psalms. was kind of the, the magic number for them. You don't have to memorize the whole book of psalms, but perhaps memorizing one or two wouldn't help. Wouldn't hurt, sorry. It would help. <laughs> Freudian slip there. It would definitely help. So choose your favorite and start there. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Like that's such a beautiful passage. Memorize that. It's not it's not long and it's there's such richness in it. But start with the Psalms. Because the Psalms are gritty, they're real. They're a place where, where it's often David, but others also wrestle with God and they're really, you know, in, in his face. That's that's what actually praying to God is about. You're, you're not putting on a show, you're being real with him. So start with some Psalms. Just maybe meditate on one psalm. Read over it and say, God, what are you saying to me there? And then the other thing I think you need in there is some of Jesus' teachings. So you know, maybe start with uh, the Sermon on the Mount and just choose a tiny little bit of that. 
just say maybe the Beatitudes, um, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the first Beatitude. Just start with that, or something like that, and just meditate on it. Sit with that. Ask, God, what do you want to say to me in this moment? What will it mean for them, but more importantly, God, what does this mean for me now? And then, and this is the important bit, just sit and be silent and ask God, what, what do you want to say to me? And you could, you could be in that moment for a couple minutes. You could be there for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. It doesn't matter. Just sit with God. And that's detachment. That's one form of detachment. But I think it's probably the most important one for our day-to-day lives. And it's detachment on a small scale. But sometimes we need it on a bigger scale, like Elijah and Moses and Jesus. You know, they had 40 days of, of detaching. Sometimes we need to, to get away for a bit longer. And I can't tell you how long that should be and what that should look like for you. But I think sometimes in our lives we need to do that. And I think it's actually really important that we do that. It's more important than we realize, especially when we find that things are getting busy and, you know, in this time of COVID and, and, and economic crises and, and lots of things happening, so I think it's really important that we actually take some time. We have rhythms throughout the year that we get away with God. And we just spend a night, maybe overnight or just even a day that we just go and seek Him. A couple of years ago, I had a, a sabbatical, and um, as a part of that, I went to this little place called Sister Eveline Retreat it's in Scarborough, just overlooking Sumner, and uh, so I was, I was in Timaru at the time, so I came up here, and I spent three or four nights, and I just uh, spent the day with this rhythm of, of praying in morning, noon, and night. We had this little prayer thing where we just sit um, for about 20 minutes in silence before God. And then I'd go and do other things. I'd go ride my bike and I'd go for a walk and I'd do other things. But it was so refreshing just to have those three or four days just to be with God, not have an agenda. It was so rich for my inner world. And I think sometimes we need to make space for those things. They're not just going to happen. Unless you make space for it, it's not just going to happen. And sometimes to break the old patterns, the ruts, dare I say, that we have in our lives, we need to make space in our world for those times. So that's kind of detachment um, about, uh, I guess, detaching in terms of time. But there's, there's actually other ways we can detach. Like if we think of detachment as a, as a broader concept, I talked about silence before. That's essentially detaching from uh, our right to be heard. Sabbath, I know Jono's big on Sabbath and he's talked about it. Sabbath is just detaching from work and from the expectations of society that we have to get things done and we have to be productive and busy. Sabbath is just saying, no, no, I'm not holding to that. I'm detaching from it for a season. Minimalism. It's detaching from stuff. We have so much stuff that we don't need in our, in our lives. Having just moved house not that long ago, I tell you, we have too much stuff. Selling or giving away things can actually be a great way of detaching. You go, actually, I don't need to, be, I don't need to hold on to these things. Because often what happens is that those things actually get a hold of us. Here's, here's, here's one. Abstaining from sex is detaching from sexualized culture. 
that's all around us. And, and you could go, what, can I even say that from the stage? Well, yes, I can, because Paul suggests it. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 to 6. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. He says it as a concession, not as a command, because he's celibate and he doesn't have um, yeah, a, a wife or partner himself. So he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> but, but the reason... I read that passage out because the reason is, is right there in it, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. We don't just detach from all the things of the world for the sake of detaching from them. We detach so that we can attach to God. That's the whole point of any form of detachment is that we are connecting ourselves to God. Detaching from food, what's that? That's fasting, right? So that's what we're going to do, maybe not this week, but in a, in a week's time. We as a church are going to fast for three weeks. Fasting's not a weight loss program. It's a way of, of detaching ourselves from our stomachs and the drive that, that they have. Because I don't know about you, but I get pushed around by my stomach. And if you say you don't, come to me after a day of fasting and tell me. Because <laughs> I know that you're the same. Our mood, our interactions, our relationships, often they change when we're fasting and we realize how much we are pushed around by our stomach. See, when we detach from something, we can gain mastery over it. And if we can't detach from it, then maybe it has mastery over us. Have you ever thought about that? If you can't detach from your coffee every morning, and afternoon, and evening, or however many you have. If you can't do that, then, then maybe it's an issue for you. If you can't remove yourself from the busyness of your work to have a Sabbath, then maybe it has a hold on you. All of these things, they're not bad in and of themselves, but if they have a hold of us, then they become idols in our lives. They, be, we, they, they become greater than God in our world. So when I talk about detaching, I'm, I'm really saying we have to be willing and able to say, actually, these things in my life, they're not going to have a hold on me. I'm prepared to go without for a season so that I can put God on the throne of my life again. I just want to invite the band up. So today I've talked about detaching in, in I guess, two different ways. I've talked about uh, detaching in time, getting away, being with God, reconnecting with Him. And I've talked about detaching as far as just letting go of some of those things in our world which can have a hold on us. And, and I want to kind of give uh, you an opportunity to respond in this moment. So why don't, why don't you stand to your feet? And I guess I've got, a, I've got a challenge and I've got a question for you this morning. The challenge is is that every day you take some time to detach from the busyness of your world, from the distractions of your phone and from your life, and you go and you be with God and you sit with Jesus and you listen and you are in silent before Him in solitude 
and you allow Him to talk to you. I think that's, if, if our relationship with God is really a relationship, then that is the basis of it, is that we're spending time alone with God. I have a relationship with May and my wife, but if I never spend any time alone with her, it's a rubbish relationship. If we never spend any time alone with God, I'm sorry, you've got a rubbish relationship with Him. <laughs> and it's not on Him, because He's waiting. So that's my challenge, firstly, is that, is that and you might go, oh, well, this is, this is basic 101, being a Christian. It's called having a quiet time. Yes, it is. But sometimes I think it needs a refresh. And sometimes I think, I know, we just get into, into routine of just reading, you know, our Bible in one year, plan or whatever it is, and we don't actually engage. And we don't actually stop and listen and say, God, what do you want to say to me in this moment? So I think we need a refresh of that. So that's my challenge. My question is what... What do you, what do I need to detach from in my world for a season in order to draw closer to God? Because I would, I would challenge you to say that there, there, is, there is no one in this room who does not have something that they are overly attached to. Whether it's a physical thing, whether it's being entertained, whether it's finding a sense of self-worth in what you do, whether it, whatever it is, there are things that we are overly attached to that, that draw us away from God. And some of those things are part of our purpose and that's okay, but some of those things actually need to just take a notch back. They need to be submitted to the authority of God. And to do that, we need to detach from it for a season. So maybe that means that you're going to disconnect from your phone for for a season of time. I have a friend who's actually gone to a non-smartphone, like he just uses a dumb phone. It's a phone, that's all it does, because he realized the power it had on him. That's an extreme example. But maybe it's, a, maybe it's, a, it's fasting something. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's something in your world that you need to give up for a season so that you can commit that time to God and you can reconnect with Him in that space. So just with your eyes closed, you hear bowed in this place, I, just, oh, I want you to, to be real with God and ask Him this question. God, what do I need to detach from in my world? Let's just ask Him that now and let's just take a moment to listen. Awesome. Hopefully you have something. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you've given us a model here of drawing away from things that draw us away from you, detaching for a moment, for a season so that we can greater pursue you, Lord. And I pray that you would, you would 
speak to us and you would help us in this season as we approach a fast as a church. God, show us what it is that you want us to disconnect from so that we can draw closer to you. Lord, we don't want any idols in our lives. We want to worship the one true God above all else. We want to make you the Lord of all of our lives. That is our heart in doing this, God. And we pray that in doing this, we may draw closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.